It's Thursday, the 28th of October, 2021, and you're listening to episode 39 of Reds Unrestricted. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Well, I'm joined as ever by my co-host Dan Club, and our guest this week is Chloe Bloxham from the Anfield Wrap. Thanks for coming on. Uh, before we get into the Preston game, we're going to start with our usual edition of Who Am I? So pretty straightforward. I'll just give some clues as to the identity of a Liverpool player from years gone by. And you've just got to, you know, shout up when you know it, basically. So, Chloe and Dan, uh, let's see which of the two of you can get it the quickest. So, first clue is, I was a defender. I spent one season on loan at Liverpool, uh, making 19 appearances in total. Mankio, Javier Mankio? No, good guess. Probably would have fit the criteria, but, um, yeah, let's move on to the next clue. Um, I also played for Aston Villa. Ali Sissoko. Yeah, well done. I, I, thought, I thought that was the one that would probably push it over the edge. Um, yeah, well, to be honest with you, I had him in my mind when I said Mankio. So the yeah. minute you said your next clue, I was I was there. Like, well, I haven't had a coffee yet, seriously. It's well past <laughs> me, my brain. <laughs> it's well past it. It's not the trivia stage yet. But um, yeah, a bit of a bit of a note analysis, Oko, actually, which I feel uh, obliged to share, is that uh, according to Wikipedia, he's now playing in the Thai second division. Um, he's 34, still going. Um, 34? God, I thought he'd be well older than that. Yeah, it's one of them, isn't it? It surprises you a bit, but mm. some would argue that that's the level he should, perhaps should have been at earlier in his career, but we'll, we'll move yeah. on. It cross <laughs> my mind. We'll move on to, to last night, uh, the Preston game, obviously. Strange how the time of the episode works, rather than discussing uh, one of the biggest wins in, in Liverpool's history, really. We're talking about a pretty bog-standard League Cup win over the Championship team, but we'll do it justice. Um, and we'll start with our three-word match review. So, Chloe is the guest. That I'll let you go first. What have you kind of gone with? By three words, I went with two, and the two was job done. And that's as simple as I can put it. To be you honest, didn't even need didn't even need three. <laughs> no, it, I don't think it was on path to be three, but it was job yeah. done. <laughs> and Dan, what about you? Well, I think job done does it justice because that's certainly how it felt, didn't it? But um, I went with world class finisher in ode to Pep Linders describing Divock Origi as one this week, um, to which I think we were all surprised. And then he produces that. So um, he certainly lived up to his billing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was a little bit surprised by that uh, that turn of phrase uh, that he used, but I suppose instant uh, justification for it. Uh, I went with toughest away test, um, and that's because I saw a stat on Twitter this morning, which I'm sure you two have both seen as well, that that was the first... Preston were the first home team this season who didn't concede at least three goals against Liverpool, um, which I find quite mad. Uh, I mean, I was at, at the game last night um, at Deepdale, kind of low down in the stand. Um, so I didn't really see, you know, didn't have the clearest view of it. And obviously I've not had the chance to like watch it back yet, really. So, um, yeah, limited in what I can really say about it. But, you know, it was clear that we dominated possession first half but they were having all the chances, really. And it does have that job done feel about it, I think. You know, just we made 11 changes, I'm pretty sure, uh, moving into the quarterfinals. And, uh, yeah, really, when you look at the team, only Jones and Matip would be players who would be in the conversation to start on on Saturday, really. Um, but, yeah, let's uh, delve into it a little bit more. 
Uh, Chloe, who were your standout performers from the game? Who were you most impressed with? My mind instantly goes to Morton because um, he's, I've seen him twice now. That was the second time and both times he's really, really impressed me. Um, he, he's just so calm on the ball. There was times where he, he, he was open for passes uh, and he had, he had a man on his shoulder every time. And instead of panicking, you know, which you'd assume a young kid would do, he was just very calm. Turn the turn the players inside out and move the ball on. Um, he kept everything consistent, kept everything moving. He was breaking up tackles like being yeah. And uh, yeah, he was he was my star man as well. His, his range of passing was really good. And um, both times I've seen him play, this time he gets to start. Obviously, he's he's being brilliant. And um, I, I I really do think to myself he looks a quality player, and I really hope to see more of him. Um, Obviously, you can't mention the game without mentioning Divock's goal. And I don't think it screams more Divock than anything else at the fact that he can be silent and invisible for 85 minutes and then goes and does that. And that is literally Divock Origi or like wrote over. He is one mad footballer, but he's one mad footballer that I absolutely adore. Um, and for reasons like that, you, you just got to, like, as the goal went in, I think my mouth just dropped open, to be honest. I was just absolutely shocked. I was just like, how? How has he pulled that from nowhere? Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd obviously say Morton was my standout player, but um, I've got to give an ode to Nico Williams, who was brilliant, um, probably our best player on the pitch alongside Morton, which, you know, when, when you think, obviously Adrian's been in goal and saved us several times, but... Because we had so much possession, I want to go for a Liverpool player that's not actually in goal. Um, and Nico Williams, especially when he moved to right wing, you know, gliding past players, um, always willing to take the extra touch and uh, try and deliver the ball into the box. And he was unlucky not to get his third, not to get his, his goal. But um, in my opinion, he should have passed so we could add three goals and kept this run up. Yeah, I thought so as well. Um, it looked to me like he could have squared it, but uh, yeah, I had uh, I had Neko down and and Adrian as well. I think Neko moved to uh, moved to right wing when Bradley came on um, early in the second half. Um, obviously, in the first half, he made that goal line clear, and so I'm not sure how much actually knew about it. Uh, to be fair, but <laughs> no, yeah, then the he, face that yeah, and then he got the uh, the assist for. The first goal, it's actually his uh, second assist in a kind of quick succession, really, because it was the one against um, against Watford as well, right at the end of the game. And you know, I'm I'm not an Adrian fan, but you know, credit where it's due. Really good save at a close range uh, to keep it at nil nil yesterday. So you know, fair play to him. Uh, Dan, any anything to add on top of what Chloe said? I know I think a lot of us will you know agree on on Morrison as well, especially with that pass uh, in the build up to the goal. Yeah, um, echo both us, to be honest with you. I think um, Morton was my pick um, of what was on show last night. Um, I was also impressed with Williams, but in particular when he did move into that more advanced role. Um, he seems to have a little bit more confidence about him when he moved further up the field. So I was quite impressed with his little out in there. Um, and it's another option, not one I think we'll particularly see much of, but it is an option. Um, and yeah, again, like you said, Adrian, and I do... I do want to give some credit to Oxley Chamberlain because I've seen a little bit of discourse actually on Twitter about him last night because his end product wasn't quite there at times. But particularly in the first half, I thought he was one of the few players really trying to make something, you know, quite dynamic happen, which is kind of what he's been good at for a while now. But 
he was getting on the ball, he was taking people on, and he was beating people, and he had a decent effort as well in the second half, which just kind of, you know, went past the post quite narrowly, really. So I was quite impressed with him, and I thought, considering he didn't end up with a goal or an assist, or really a telling moment, I thought his actual, like, effort and endeavour probably deserved that, and he probably deserves a mention. Yeah, fair enough. Like, um, it's not the kind of fixture he wants to be playing in, but he did uh, do his best to, to make an impact on the game. Maybe moving on to a player now who perhaps didn't perform as well, although that, that's up for debate, um, in Joe Gomez. I mean, there was the moment in the first half where the uh, Preston forward ran in behind him and Adrian had to palm away. I think there was a uh, similar to the game against City, actually he almost steps up Gomez to try and play offside, but the other defenders don't really, you know, aren't really on the same page as him. Um, so they're able to get him behind. And then obviously the the bigger error is when he loses possession before that that flurry of chances. Chloe, I saw a I saw a tweet yesterday basically saying that games like last night show why Gomez hasn't really been involved too much this season. Um, because it's clear that he's still really feeling the after effects of his injury more so than someone like Van Dyke. Would you agree with that, or do you think that's maybe um not the reason? And. I did see a tweet and at the time I did think to myself, yeah, probably that. Um, but looking back at it, it's one of those that you've got to play games to actually get rhythm. Like Virgil van Dijk, I, I don't think he's been out of this world. I thought, you know, Man United, he was really good. I thought Canate was better than him. I've, I thought Matip this season has been better than him. I thought throughout this the beginning of the season, Virgil van Dijk hasn't been at his best level, but he's been good. And that's always going to come back. The muscle memory, the, you know, making sure you're fit and everything like that. It comes back from a long-term injury and you need games, you need rhythm, um, you need to do well in training um, and it all comes together. So I think, you know, keeping one Preston, one game in the League Cup against Preston, I, was, um, I think it'd be a bit harsh on him. I, I didn't think he played well first half. Second half, I thought he played well. Um, and he corrected that in the game, and he was better second half. But uh, as you say, it's it's an injury. We all know he's injury prone, and when I say injury prone, a lot of people turn around and say, "But has he been injured that many times?" But like for me, really, as I like, you know, when he's consistent and in the team, he's brilliant, and I absolutely love watching him. And he's got the pace that you want at the back, and he matches Virgil Van Dijk's style of play. He's very good with it. But saying that, if you asked me to choose between Matip and Joe Gomez right now, I'd choose Matip because I think Matip's unbelievable. And if he could consistently play, I truly believe he'd be in the top, you know, three centre-halves in the league. I really do believe that because I think Joe Matip on his day is outstanding. Um, but going back to Joe Gomez, he, he needs game time, he needs fitness, he needs recovery, he he just needs to get back in the swing of things and hopefully when the swing of things come, when he gets that opportunity, he can take it and he can further the ability that he's got um, and he can just be more settled on the ball. You've also got to think he, he was captain last night in a team where probably hasn't played with a lot of players yet. He's played with Tismikas, Adrian, you know, you've got Matty, maybe sometimes Nico Williams, but that's a team that's not got cohesion when you're talking about a run of form and you're talking about playing game in, game out. So he was in a team that was unfamiliar with him, that other people could have made mistakes, which made him make mistakes. Um, so 
I don't think we need to pinpoint this as a massive problem. Uh, we've still got a long way to get in the season and he will be used at some point. Um, and I think Joel Matip is going to get an injury at some point. I, I sadly do think that. So he will be used and hopefully when he is used, he's actually in rhythm, in form. And also he'll have Virgil van Dijk next to him to literally get him through the game, which... Virgil van Dijk makes you look 10 times better when he's in your ear and stood next to you. And he didn't have that against Preston. Yeah, I think you're pretty much bang on there. And it's that kind of dilemma, isn't it, between, you know, the need to actually give him the minutes, but then, you know, you don't want to be throwing him into games where that lack of maybe 100% fitness could actually end up costing you. It's interesting that he um, he got the nod for that uh, Champions League game against Milan and uh, both him and Matip, I think, were maybe pulled, uh, pulled around a little bit by the... Uh, AC Milan attackers, so I wonder if Klopp kind of saw that and thought I need to be maybe a little bit more patient with them. And the point you make about Van Dijk as well, getting up to speed, I think is a good one because I think when almost when we look back, the fact that we had a relatively kind start to the season fixtures wise mm. might have been sort of ideal for Virgil really because he could sort of ramp back up um, mm. to the, the levels he needs to be at. Um, Dan, I'll let you kind of uh, weigh in on this one. Yeah, um, some brilliant points there from Chloe, I'd just like to say first. Um, I think in particular towards the end, when you talk about playing alongside Van Dijk and just how much that can help a centre-half through a game. I mean, we've seen that God knows how many times before. I think when it comes to Gomez's injuries, they've been big injuries, haven't they? And unfortunately, there's been quite a few of them now. He doesn't tend to pick up little niggles here and there like John Matthews does. He tends to pick up sort of, you know, a few months out type injuries in the past, which is... A shame, and obviously he's coming back from another one now. I think a lot of what's made him look so different from Van Dijk, and I agree that Van Dijk hasn't quite been at his best this season, is that Van Dijk is so... He seems to be ahead of the game all the time, so he very... How often do we see him in full flow? Like, he very rarely gets caught out, whereas Gomez, even at his best, could get caught out because he's not... You know, he's not got that in-game intelligence, but his pace and, you know, his dynamic nature will get him out of that situation but Van Dijk probably hasn't needed to be at full strength and full tilt because he's so far ahead he can deal with the situation before it's happened so I think that might play a part in why they've both come back from big injuries and looked you know different levels of their sort of recovery if that makes sense um but yeah I think Joe Gomez is a top player and it wasn't so long ago that him and Van Dijk were the settled two and were the first choice two and um, whether that be because of massive injuries or not, you know, there was a period whereby it was Gomez and Van Dyke. And, you know, off the top of my head, I couldn't sort of recall the record those two had, but I seem to remember like, you know, a ridiculous run of victories, clean sheets, and all that sort of stuff going on. So, yeah, he's top player, you know, any sort of speculation that, you know, we might have seen the best rim or even the last rim at Liverpool is wrong, I think. Um, we've definitely still got a serious talent for the future. He's still young, but there's no doubt about it. You know, first half in particular last night, he was looked off the pace and he wasn't quite the Joe Gomez we know. Um, but yeah, I've got no doubt that he'll come good again. I just think he, more than Van Dijk, needs that match sharpness. Van Dijk was able to cruise through games. Whether it's because he's so good or not, I'm not sure. He was able to cruise through early in the season. Gomez can't cruise through any matches, and we've seen that last night. I feel like Virgil, he reads a game, and that's he reminds me, and I don't want to make the comparison because I think he's much better, but like 
Um, like for me, John Terry was one of the all-time greatest defenders, mm. and he didn't have pace, but my word, could he read the game? And That's he was it, into yeah. it before before the pass was even done. He was already there intercepting it, or he was already there on the player, not letting him turn, intercepting them, you know, tackling. And I think that's what Virgil has. Virgil already sees the play before mm. it's being made, and therefore he's got an easier decision because he's already stuck in position correctly. Yeah, Gomez he's has got to react, ready. doesn't he? Gomez yeah. has to react to that. And that that's that is technically levels of of football. Virgil Van Dijk is obviously the better player. You know, he's for me one of the greatest um, Premier League defenders, and. You know, the reason is, is because he's so switched on, he's so sharp and he reads play before it happens. Um, he sees pictures. It's like being in a, in a tackle where you can see, you know, exactly where your front men are going to be, you know, the runs that they're going to do. Virgil van Dijk looks at players in front of him. He reads the game and therefore can then make his decision earlier on. With Joe Gomez, maybe that's because he's young and, you know, he still needs coaching through a game. Um he doesn't have that all the time, but he's still top quality. He can still recover with the pace that he does have, and he's still a, a brilliant player. You're both bang on with that. Obviously, that's you know particularly important when you know they're coming back from injuries to have that almost your brain carrying you, uh, you know, before your legs kind of in a certain way. Uh, Dan, you know the the point you make about that that record they had in the eighteen nineteen season. I I can't remember it either, but I'm fairly confident they'd conceded single-figure goals in, in the first half of the season uh, yeah. before Gomez was injured. So it was very impressive. And I think that was probably the peak of Liverpool's defence with this team in terms of not looking like um, they could concede goals at times. Um, but I want to stay with you, Dan, because um, obviously attention kind of turns now to the, the last eight and the, the latter stages of the, of the League Cup now. And I saw... You wrote a piece this week talking about how much you, you know, want to add this trophy mm-hmm. to the club's cabinet, really. So, if we look at some of the teams um, that are in the frame uh, in the courses, you know, there's Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, Leicester, West Ham, um, and they're all teams who are either in Europe or you know around around the European conversation. You got mm-hmm. Brentford as well. Look like they could be a top half Prem side, and then Sunderland stand out as the one who everyone probably wants to draw. Um, you know, they've kind of, you know, the, the shock inclusion in, in the last eight, really. So mm. say we do get one of those, you know, five, you know, teams that I mentioned or even Brentford as well, because they've mm-hmm. shown that they're a good side. What kind of team do you think Klopp should go with? I don't necessarily expect it to set out like a full 11, but like what sort of level of strength are we talking here? Yeah, so much of it depends on um, fitness and availability. Obviously, that's an absolute given before we even go into it. But say we were pretty much full strength for the tie, if it was one of those sort of bigger, you know, Premier League sides we were going to draw, or even Brentford, we've seen how dangerous they were a few weeks ago. So for me, it would still be a rotated side, but it would be far less rotated in terms of as good as the likes of Morton, you know, even Connor Bradley were when they came on last night. I still don't think I'd be including them, you know, at Chelsea away, for example, or even West Ham away. I don't think I'd be throwing them in in the quarterfinal stage then. Um, for me, it would just be the bench essentially would come on and I'd include even, we've got this sort of quartet of attackers now, I'd include you know, the one who's not been involved at the weekend, potentially, whether it be Giotto or Firmino, it tends to be one of them. I'd include them alongside Origi and Minamino. I've got, 
I wouldn't go full strength because I even I, you know, I know the where the priorities lie. I'm fully aware of that. I wouldn't expect Klopp to go, you know, strongest eleven because the chances are the opposition won't do that either. Um, probably one of the worst draws will be would be like a Spurs or even an Arsenal because they haven't got European football to contend with. Um, or, or West Ham, for that matter. Well, they say no, they've got Europa League, haven't they? So that's wrong. Um, but yeah, a Spurs of an Arsenal, because they could afford to go full strength in the Carabao Cup and really try and win it. And that would almost force our hand to go stronger again. So it's a difficult one. But yeah, I just think slight rotation, like I say, more include the subs instead of the academy. Yeah, yeah. I see what you mean there. And, you know, obviously you say Spurs can afford to prioritise. Obviously in the... Uh, in the Conference League, aren't they? But, you know, they, I mean, that's probably level in, in terms of their priorities with, with the domestic cups because it isn't exactly a, a prestigious competition. But, Chloe, I'll bring you in on this. How would you feel if you saw the lineup for that game and you're seeing players like um, Van Dijk, Salah, Mane, Fabinho, you know, those kind of players popping up in the team? Would that make you a bit apprehensive? Um, it, it would in the sense of, do we know when this, this game will lie in the fixtures? Do we know when about the date is? And, and this is all because they've decided to put it on Soccer AM instead of just doing it the night of the football, which is a bit of a mess. Um, but it, for me, I think you maybe start one of your front three, and that includes Jota or Firmino. Um, you know, I think Canate, depending on where he is, if he's not played, um, you could maybe throw in him. I think Joe Gomez, based off the fact that right now he's not in the team, I think he'd be a given. You've mm-hmm. once again got Adrian or Callagher to fight it out. I don't think you're putting Allison in there. Um, says Mikas, I'm happy with him. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't throw Trent. Like the thing is, is that all of these teams that are, well, Chelsea obviously and City, even United for that saying. They all have better squad depth, in my opinion, than Liverpool do. Mm-hmm. And for this game, they I think like City's reserve team literally could challenge in the Premier League. And it, it that's just how that's just how it is. And sadly, I don't think we have the luxury of that as much. So I think a few players who need fitness and mm-hmm. who haven't got games put in. But you also might have to put in some leaders from the first team to also make sure that everyone's being led through a game. No one's losing the reds. Everyone's staying calm. Like against Preston last night, there were so many forced balls just for our forwards to chase. And you were just like, just hold the ball. Just recycle it. Eventually, you'll get a space. And instead of doing that, we lumped the ball up pitch and just hoped. And um, I think it will be a mixture of players who need game time, players coming back from injury, like I'm not saying Harvey Elliott will be back, but players like that, if someone mm. has a little niggle, you put them in this game. Um, because let's be honest, it's not it's not the league or the Champions League, but it's a trophy and I would still like a trophy. Um, and I want to go for absolutely everything that went in. And without City, who've won it five times on the bounce, and without United, who, even though we beat them 5-0, would still be a horrible game to play against because it's Man United. Um, without them in the in the draw, I know you've got Chelsea there, but you've got to think of where they, you know, they're going for the Champions League and the league as well. So, um, it's a chance, it's an opportunity, and I think a mixture of some first team players, 
Um, some people coming back from injury and some who just haven't got game time, like Nat Phillips, would be good. Yeah. Um, and maybe you have some big players on your bench. For when it's 75 minutes and it's nil-nil or whatever, you say, oh, man, hey, come on for 15 minutes and have a go. And then you sat there and you're like, well, we've got game changes as well. Yeah, um, and I took the opportunity there to quickly look up when the... Uh... When the quarterfinals are, it looks like yeah, it looks like December twenty first and twenty second. So that's, I suppose, an interesting dilemma because that's just before really the fixtures get really intense. But I agree certainly with what you're saying, Chloe. About you know having those players ready on the bench, and it's difficult to know how much of an opportunity it is because obviously, as you mentioned, United and City are both out now. Two of the teams with you know the really really impressive squad depth, um, but equally you still do have a lot of. A very good size, you know, the kind of teams who've who've knocked us out in the past when we've been unlucky with draws, I suppose. So, so yeah, uh, we'll see who Liverpool end up drawing on on Saturday morning with that uh, with that very strange uh, schedule. Yeah, we'll move on to the Brighton game now, just for the final part of the podcast. Um, before we get into lineups and predictions, as usual. Um, I want to kind of think about the effect of this United game. I don't know if you saw, if both of you have seen this uh, piece that James Pearson and Simon Hughes did this week, kind of looking in depth at the victory and speaking to some sources in the dressing room. Mm-hmm. And there was one who said, um, so basically along the lines, if it was just three points and we move on, um, just like we did after putting five past Watford and no one is spending time dwelling on Sunday, I just want to think about the challenge almost of, you know, having a win like that against United, such a historic win, and then being able to literally, you know, put it behind you and, and refocus and not becoming almost complacent in any way. Um, Dan, do you think that could be a factor? I know we'd rarely question the the attitude of this team, but would you agree that that's kind of a challenge? It is definitely a challenge. Um and I think, obviously, from a fan perspective, it's a really difficult thing to sort of put to the back of your mind. But the only thing that, you know, sort of in previous incarnations of Liverpool sides, if we'd have won, you know, so monumentally all to after that, I'd have really worried about what was to come next. But you kind of alluded to it there, not with this side, not with this squad, because they've achieved some... Well, moreover, they've had some, you know, real knocks in the past, obviously, the Champions League final... Uh, missing out on the league by a point and to come back from those two things so sort of categorically and so brilliantly you can't really question the mentality whether it be good or bad um, and obviously they've had a really positive you know little spell actually and, and certainly on Sunday Old Trafford but you think you've just got to back this side to do exactly what you've said and, and sort of just treat it as three points and move on and go again and doesn't mean anything yet. And I know a lot of it's cliches and it tends to come out, you know, Mo Salah after the game said something very similar. And, you know, you, you do tend to think, oh, yeah, well, they're just saying that. But really, it's an absolutely massive result. But like I say, you've got to take it at face value with this squad because they have been so sort of single-minded and focused on what's to come. And I think the likes of Jordan Henderson's a big, big player in that because he has always had that attitude. Um, and he doesn't let this side get complacent, if you ask me. So, you know, hopefully that is the case. And hopefully we treat Brighton, you know, with just the same amount of cachet and respect as we did United, because they probably deserve it at the start they've had. I think as well, like, say if we were to, you know, go behind, have a sloppy start and go behind at the weekend, and that almost, if there is any sort of 
complacency that's set in that almost shakes the players out of it in a way you don't you just you don't even need that that small shock. But Chloe, would you would you agree with what Dan said there? Yeah, I think you know if it was a different time of the season and you'd got that win, um, and I think it was you know it's it's in a, a place where the three points is what matters. And to be honest, it, it you know it doesn't gain you an advantage on anyone else around you because like obviously you've took the three points. It's a great win. It's Manchester United. From a fan's perspective, it's unbelievable. But I don't think they're in the mindset of a fan. They're very professional. They're footballers. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's three points. It'll go down in history, but now let's move on. Um, and they have to move on quickly because games come quick and fast. And, you know, you want to get in that winning form when you're literally playing Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. You know, so um, for me, it, it's it's one of them. We saw some brilliant wins um, and Liverpool come back time and time again and just calm the boat and, you know, let the fans do all, you know, the singing, the chanting, which we obviously always do, but um, they're in the background. They're the ones making sure, like, this atmosphere and that, that historic win won't get lost. Um, but it's Brighton are a brilliant football team. I really enjoy watching Brighton Football Club. I, I do. Um, they're one of my, like, I don't want to say favourite teams because I don't have a favourite team aside from Liverpool when it comes to the Premier League. I don't want anyone to win if it's not Liverpool. But if I had to choose, um, I'd say that I, I do enjoy watching Brighton and I, I hope they do well aside from, you know, Liverpool and against Liverpool. Um but the, the professionals, and I don't think you can get carried away when like we we're not even middle of the season, and you've got Chelsea who are one point above us challenging with us, and you've got City who are right behind us challenging with us. We didn't take three points off either of those teams. We only took one point off both, you know, from home, and that's not good enough uh, because you want to take four points off the teams in and around you who are challenging and. Um, I don't think United, uh, never in my mind, were they going to challenge for this league this season. Their fans might have thought it, but I definitely didn't. And it's a brilliant win, and I don't want to downplay it. But in I want to be in the player's mindset of thinking it's another three points, let's carry on. Because that's how it is, and that's how it's going to be. Because at the end of the day, you've got maybe one day to have time off, have a drink, reflect on it relax and then the next day you're back in training and you're focusing on the next game which is Preston and now Preston's over you're instantly focusing on Brighton um, and it, it, you don't have time to sit there and literally fondle on this win that's massive because you've got more teams to look forward to and you've got to win the games it's that simple if you want to win this league you can't get complacent and this team has won the league this team has won the Champions League this team has fought against City which is arguably one of the best sides um, in Premier League history, along with this Liverpool one, and therefore complacency, our team knows we can't do that, and therefore I trust in them that we will not get complacent, especially not against a good side like Brighton. I think you're spot on there, especially with the point about you know some of the the missed opportunities we've had earlier in the season, and uh, you know certainly this United are a bit of a mess at the moment. So whilst it was you know, one of one of the great wins as well. You know, we've got to think that there is still room for improvement for. I think that's probably the right mentality to have. But let's whiz through some lineups uh, for Saturday then. I'll go first and then I'll let you two say what changes, if any, you'd have. Uh, so I'd go with Alisson in goal, Trent, Matip, Van Dijk, Robertson, although I don't mind if, if can I say place again, given how good he was last weekend. 
I'd have Fabinho um, in the sixth position because it looks like he's going to be back fit based on what Linda said in the press conference. Henderson, um, Cater, if he's fit, apparently there was only bruising from that Pogba challenge. Uh, but if he's not, and I think there might be a bit of caution there, given it's Cater, I'd have Jones in. And then Salah, Jatamani would be my front three. Largely because I'd expect Klopp uh, to start Firmino against Atletico Madrid. Uh, so, you know, with one eye on that, would go for Jota. So, Dan, any changes from that? Um, actually, no. No changes. I've actually gone with Jota this week in our usual sort of debate over the central striker. Um, yeah, I would I would pump for Jota because I think Brighton... It'd be interesting to see how Brighton play because I think they might have been stung a bit by what happened against City last week. I think they were playing sort of open, pretty free-flowing, attacking football all season and playing really well, like Chloe touched upon, but I don't know whether they'll do that because they tried that against City and they got hurt quite badly. So I don't know if they'll come to Banfield and, and sort of revert the type of previous visits and, and look to sit back and defend deep and make like difficult forwards, which had it been last week, they might have come and played. So yeah, I agree with you on the team um, and in terms of sort of the doubts and the possible changes, but I'd be going with Jota just to have that bit more cutting edge in the penalty area, which might be important. And Chloe, are you making making it a full house of teams or have you got any tweaks from uh, what my, me and Dan have said? No, I'm pretty happy with those. And um, I, I, don't, I don't think they'll risk Naby Keita for the main factor of it is Naby Keita. Um, and he's had a brilliant start to the season, brilliant player, but has literally missed more games than he has played through injury. And you don't want him to get another knock or to you know, cause more pain to the to the area. Um, so I think if he's back and he can play, sure, but I wouldn't risk him. Um, I also heard that there's rumours that maybe Thiago's in contention, which if Fabinho hadn't been injured or hadn't picked up a niggle, I think Thiago might have started. But I don't know. He, he doesn't like to risk two midfielders playing on the same in the same game from the beginning if they've came back from injury. And I think we saw that with you know, when Hendo was coming back on Thiago, he wouldn't play them together for several the first couple of games. Um, but I'd like to see him off the bench. So I, I, what I would say is I find it very interesting that Firmino and Jota were on the bench uh, against Preston, but Mane, who yeah. came on and had a little run out, was nowhere to be seen. Um, but I, I'm happy with either of those lineups. I'm happy to see Kanata. I'm happy to see Mata. Happy to see Tismichas if needed. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it's back to, to league form and it's back to the league kind of, the the, the starting 11 that you'd expect Jürgen Koch to mm. put out. Yeah, I think what's interesting is, you know, compared to the likes of United, you know, when they have almost fitness concerns, Solskjaer just seems to throw the players in anyway, even if they're at 50, 75%, yeah. whereas we are a lot more on, on the cautious mm. end of the scale. Um, let's get some uh, score predictions in then. Uh, Dan, I'll let you go first. Yeah, just to say, I really hope Thiago is on the bench, at least. I, I, I love him. I thought he'd really start to see the best. Yeah, Lin- Linda um, said um, that he was sort of close to team training now, didn't he? So, yeah, that would be a big, big boost, that would, I think, especially with Milner picking up that hamstring problem last week. So, yeah, that'd be great. Um, in terms of score prediction... Um, I'm interested to see how we're getting on, actually. But I'm going to say, yeah, you were negative last week. But I'm going to say 2-0 Liverpool. Um, 
I do think this will be a difficult game. I think I've been really impressed with Brighton this season. Um, but listen, we're at home, you know, we all the you know the special factors that go with Anfield, our records outstanding. We've been playing brilliant football. So yeah, hopefully a relatively straightforward 2-0. Yeah, well, didn't I go for 5 0 last week? Did I not? <laughs> yeah, um, United, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've gone with 2 0 as well. Like, I'm, that isn't just me, like, mirroring you or anything. Um, I did I genuinely have that written down. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it was similar to Palace um, in that they play some good football and end up looking quite dangerous, but we just proved too strong for them. I think with Brighton, there's this thing of, you know, you know, the, the XG joke from last season, but mm. the season that are actually fairing as well um, in those kind of metrics. So, yeah, I, I reckon it's 2 as well. And uh, Chloe, what, what do you reckon? Um, my initial thought was 3-0. However, I can sadly see Brighton getting a goal. Uh, but just for positivity, I'll go with the clean sheet and go 3-0. Yeah, they're a, they're a you know, fairly dangerous team. They, they play, they've got yeah. some really good, like, attacking patterns and stuff, so... As long so, yeah, as that Lewis done free kick. Oh god. That was that was a needlessly stressful game. But anyway, yeah, uh, quickly on the predictions table. Um the, the gap has, has narrowed on the back of last week. So I'm on twelve. The guests are on eight and Dan's on seven. Uh we're almost out of time now. Uh but before we go, we'll give Chloe the chance to plug anything she wants to, the listeners to have a look at. Um, not. I mean, I've got a YouTube channel which is literally just Chloe Bloxham and that's uh, just, I'm stood in the cop and um, I watch the football and literally have my phone next to my chest and hope videos come out well enough to put hmm. them into a vlog, but that's about it. Apart from that, um, you can just find me basically chatting about football anywhere and everywhere. And we'll put the relevant links in the episode description, so thanks very much for coming on. We'll be back um, at this stage next week to talk about Let's go and look ahead to, I think, West Ham is the next game. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll see you then, uh, and thanks for listening.